Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. One of the reasons there's conflict and animosity among people is we tend to compete for power in this world. As you look at four of God's boundaries of freedom, we will discover he provides us a life free from the power struggles of the world. And so today, we are actually moving in our series, Boundaries of Freedom, to the commandments that has us, that that, that gives us guidance for how to live free lives with our neighbors, okay? But before we get there, you can go back to the title slide, I'm not ready there yet. I'm going to, I want to bring up something just, just briefly, because this has been a trend recently that's been sort of disturbing. There's some terms that we use in our society currently right now that pretty much, if we don't agree with a person, we call them something. The two terms that I want to talk about today are snowflake and okay boomer. These two terms are used, and maybe you've never heard it before, but it's actually used on a very common way for people who are looking to just sort of write somebody off who has a different opinion than them. Snowflake is generally used for those who are sensitive or are too politically correct in our, our, in our minds, right? And so what we do is, I don't, what, what it really is, is I don't agree with what you believe, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to call you a snowflake to basically feel better about myself and the, the, the positions that I believe, the opinions that I have. Now, this is a general, generality, it's a stereotype, I get it, but most people who say, who say snowflake are of an older generation, generally. I've heard, I've heard younger people say snowflakes, too. The other term, okay, boomer, I don't even know, I don't know if it, it, it started in the millennials or the Gen Z, I don't know who it is. Gen Z is the generation after me. They're graduating high school and they're in college right now. That's, that's Gen Z right now. So when you hear that 18-year-olds are eating Tide Pods, it's not the millennials, okay? Don't put that on us. <laughs> but the idea is, oh, well, you're an older person and you have a certain position and opinion about how you believe the world works, and guess what? I don't agree with it, it is. Okay, boomer, that's the concept. Both of these are terms that don't help the situation. (laughs) Because what it is, is what we want to try to do is if if somebody makes a good point, but we want to hold into our opinion, we want to hold into our position, we want our way to go forward, what we do is we call them a name to write them off. Whatever, snowflake. Okay, boomer. These are terms that basically we're saying, you don't have power over me. You don't have authority over me. You can't change my mind. And it doesn't help. It really doesn't. Why does this exist? Why does such animosity exist between generations that we call each other things when we disagree? Why do we do these kinds of things? Well, it's simple. Ever since the very creation, 
of humanity, God gave us this amazing ability to have free will. We have the ability to choose. We have the ability to think. We have the ability to rationalize. This, this didn't exist just 200 some years ago when the United States was born and we talk about freedom of, no, no, this has always been there. Everybody's always been free to obey the law or obey God or to, to agree. It, it, ever since very creation, we've had the opportunity to have the freedom to say, yeah, I agree with that. No, I don't. And if you think that these generation animosities is bad now, it's always been bad. There are some of you that grew up in the hippie generation that you remember grandparents talking about, you young kids, get out of here. Anybody want to admit you were a hippie? No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. No, I'm just... <laughs> right? Generational warfare has always existed because guess what? We want what's best for our own interests. And our beliefs about what we believe to be the best thing for our own interests will cause conflict with somebody who believes differently than you. You know what this is? This is called a power struggle. This is a power struggle. We are wanting what's best for us, and therefore, I am going to use my influence, I'm going to use my intellect, I am going to use whatever I have at my disposal to show that my way is the best way. And I believe that I need to live in this kind of way. Are you surprised that power struggle is so... It's, it's very, very obvious in our society, Right? It's very obvious in our society. <laughs> Not just the generational warfare that we're talking about. It's about anything. You talk about politics. You talk about family disputes. You talk about um, just going to work. You see power plays happening amongst your coworkers, or maybe you've tried to make a power play to go up here, right? Power struggle exists when we are wanting what we want, and we will do what we will do to get what we want what it is. Have you ever wondered if life is better than getting more power and being able to do what you want? Because to me, this power struggle sounds like a terrible life. <laughs> it sounds terrible. But the reality of it is, friends, is that that's how our society is run. People who are willing to do whatever it takes to get to the top will do whatever it takes to get to the top. Whether it be power, whether it be fame, whether it be money, whether it be whatever you think it is. Doesn't God want something better for us? The good news, friends, is that as we continue our series, Boundaries of Freedom, today, we are going to find Boundaries that God put into place in the ancient Israel civilization to give freedom to them, but also to the world. And again, if you're joining us for the first time and you're like, boundaries of freedom, that sounds like 
an oxymoron. That sounds ridiculous because you know what? I've heard that freedom is I do what I want. I believe what I believe. I get the power that I deserve, all these things. But God, from a very, very early time in human history, said, no, this is not how you live a free life. In fact, I am here to free you, and here is how you continue to remain free. This is how you live a free life. And so we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, which most people look at as, oh, that that keeps us from doing what I want. This keeps us from freedom. But actually, the Ten Commandments give us a way of living that promotes freedom in the world. The first two weeks, we went over these things. The first... Uh, The first three commandments shows us that God frees us to be human. He is God. We are not. You can't manipulate God. He is the one who is God. And you can't use him for your own devices. That allows you and I to be human. We don't have to make the decisions, what's right and what's wrong, what to do and what not to do. He's God. Let's you be human. Then last week, we looked at the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath. A day of rest every seven days. And we talked about God frees us to rest. He didn't create us to be workaholics. He didn't create us to be machines. He didn't create the rest of the creation to be a machine. And so what we learned last week is that Sabbath keeping directly affects how we love God and we trust God and directly affects how we love our neighbor. It was the bridge commandment. Today, we move to four commandments that directly affect our relationships with our neighbor. This is how we, well, this is how Israel was to live. And the reason why we continue to look at the Ten Commandments even today is because Jesus built upon them in his own ministry. We'll get to that a little bit later. But all four commandments that we look at today, Five, six, seven, and nine speak to a freedom from the power struggle of the world that we find ourselves in. So you ready? Four commandments. Okay, you can do this. You can be brief. All right. (laughs) Exodus chapter 20. We're going to begin with verse 12. We read these words. Honor your father and mother so that your life will be long on the fertile land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. And then lastly, do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Again, you might be wondering, why did you skip the stealing commandment? We're going to go over that next week. But the theme of these four are completely around God freeing us from the power struggle. So let's talk about this a little bit. First of all, honor your father and mother. Actually, before I, get, I, before I start this, I want you to hear this, okay? All of these seem straightforward to us. You're like, oh yeah, sound, these sound like good things to do, right? They sound great. And what we do is we individualize these. And I was like, okay, I need to honor my father and mother. I should not kill. I, but you need to understand something about Middle Eastern society. They never looked just at themselves. They also looked 
as a community. This as a community were commandments. These are how God was going to set apart Israel compared to the rest of the world. They as a society only worship one God. They as a society don't use God for their own devices. They as a society stopped for one day a week. They as a society would honor mom and dad. They would not kill. They would not commit adultery. They would not bear false testimony. So remember this, that this is not just about you. This is about all of us. Because God, when he saved the Israelites from Egypt, and he provided for them in the wilderness, and then he built this covenant with them, he said, this is how you be my people. This is how you are going to bless the world. This is how I am going to show who I am, and it's through you, Israel. You are going to bless nations by the way you live your life. So as we look at these individual commandments, as these boundaries of freedom, don't just think of it as, a, well, oh, obviously, I shouldn't kill. But think of it also as a society. We are not to kill. Okay, get, you get the sense there? Okay, so first of all, honor your father and mother, Okay. I remember when I was five years old, mom would come up to me and say, you know, God says to obey me. It's right there in Exodus. I got to tell you, five years old, I wish I would have known what I know now, because I would have argued with her. Uh, <laughs> I want to be very, very clear. This commandment is actually far more than obey mom and dad. Because guess what? Mom and dad can ask you to do terrible things. And Paul even addressed this later on in Ephesians. Should you obey your mom and dad when your mom says, hey, go steal that? Should you obey your mom and dad when they are abusing you? No, friends. It's not this, this black-white kind of thing. Rather, what this commandment says is honor your mother and father. Okay? Now, here's what honor really meant in the original Hebrew. It means to give weight. Give weight to your father and mother. Now, there's a reason for this, okay? The original saving act of God and the Israelites were actually done years before these commandments were given. So very likely, there were adult children who were hearing these commandments that never experienced the exodus. They never experienced crossing the Red Sea, seeing the plagues that happened in Egypt. They might not even remember manna and quail falling from heaven in the wilderness. They, very likely would just be hearing God say these things like, why should we trust you? Why should you be our only God? And mom and dad were there to bring context. You said, no, this God, he's a liberator. This God, he provides. This God is good. You can trust him. And this is how we be his people. So when he says, give weight to your mother and father, it means listen to them when they talk about God's amazing work in our community. 
It's important to realize that this God isn't just this God who stands in, up on a mountain and is just saying, hey, live like this or else. This God freed us from slavery. This God provided for us. And so mom and dad give the context for who God is. Give weight to them. But then the other part of it is this. Give weight to your mom and dad as they get older and they become less useful in society. Because guess what, friends? We are really blessed to go get our food at a grocery store. And you, as you get older, can still go get food at the grocery store. In an ancient agricultural society, to get food, you had to work your butt off. And guess what? When certain men and women got to a certain age, they could not do it anymore. And so the temptation is to just leave them by the side, leave them behind. And so the oldest would actually become those who were marginalized. The temptation is we don't need to care for them. They're just holding us back. They're keeping us from being a society that we can be. Give weight to them. Honor them. Care for them. And there's a third dynamic to this. Hey, young people, honor your father and mother. But guess what? Honor, honor really only works when there is a mutualness to it, isn't it? I mean, let's really be honest. So that means, mom, dad, make sure you invest in the younger generations so that they give weight to you. See, what this is, friends, is that what we were talking about earlier, where snowflake and OK Boomer is a normal thing, a part of our society, God rejects it and says, take care of each other. Take care of those who are most vulnerable. Take care of each other. You will be known as a different kind of people by the way you treat your elders, by the way you give weight to them, by the way you honor them. Walter Brueggemann says this, socioeconomic security depends on the right ordering of interpersonal relations between the generations. Think about that for a second. Socioeconomic security depends upon the right ordering of interpersonal relations between generations. In other words, a society will fall if the relationships between generations are at odds with each other. Perhaps between the generation of power and that of vulnerability. In this society, the generation of power were those who were young, and those who were vulnerable were those who were old. But maybe we ought to be a little cautious of that if we live in a situation that's different. Who are the vulnerable? Who are the powerful? And if that's the case, are we having right relationship with each other? The next commandment, simple. Don't kill. That's it. Okay. 
Let's, let's flesh this out a little bit. Okay. A lot of people have taken a, spent a lot of time writing down reasons why this should be do not murder as opposed to do not kill. And it's a little foggy as far as what the original Hebrew was. So let's just talk about the act of killing. Why would anybody kill anybody? To gain power over them. Or, or to make them hurt like you hurt, which is also a power problem. That first commandment of honor your father and mother, lay down your power, don't, fall, don't, don't be at odds with each other. This next one is don't kill. You do not have the right to assert that you are better than another human being, that you can take their lives into your own hands and end it. Do not kill. Because guess what? God created every single human. Every human, young, old, white, black, brown, yellow. We want to go for that Sunday school song, God loves the little children, all the children of the world. Every human being, friends, is precious to God. And there is no bit of power that you want to take for yourself or you wanting to hurt them that justifies you killing them. Because let's really be honest. War, war exists because a country wants greater power over another country. Abortion happens when somebody wants complete control over the career or life and we're scared to what happens if I have this child and I don't have the money to do it or otherwise. Murder is killing for yourself. So friends... Hear me out. When God says, do not kill, don't kill. As individuals, but as a people, Israel was not to kill. No matter how much Israel would spill blood in the pages after this, God meant for them not to be people of death. Because, friends, human life belongs to God and must be respected. He is the only one who has any power in the world to take a human life. And we leave it to him completely. Adultery. Generally, when we talk about adultery, the thought process is, well, adultery is within the marriage covenant. Hey, don't cheat on your spouse. Don't do it, right? But guess what? <laughs> they, their marriages were totally different than what our marriages are. Men owned their wife. They did. 
had total power over the woman in the relationship. And so when God says, don't commit adultery, he's saying, hey, she, you might think you own her, but you are to remain faithful to her. Because this marriage is not designed for one over another. It is a mutual relationship that gives to each other. Gives to each other emotionally, mentally, yes, physically. So don't go use your body in the way that you want to use your body with somebody else. Our world has gotten more complicated in the world of adultery, friends. The Israelites did not have computer screens in their pockets that has 24-7 access to watching other human beings commit sexual acts for your own personal gratification. But that's what adultery is, isn't it? My wife isn't giving me what I need, so I'm just going to go over here and sleep with her. That's what porn is. My wife isn't getting me what I need, so I'm going to go watch something so that I can enjoy pleasure. My husband isn't giving me what I need, so I'm going to go and enjoy this video. Adultery is far more complicated than this. Adultery doesn't even have to be physical. It doesn't have to be sexual. It can be emotional. He doesn't listen to me, so I'm going to go talk to this guy over here. She doesn't listen to me, so I'm going to go talk to this girl over here. Adultery, friends, is at the end of the day another power struggle that says, I have my life and I deserve what I think I'm entitled to. And so I will do whatever it takes to get what I deserve. I will exploit other human beings. I will exploit other relationships. I will exploit my own relationship to get pleasure and self-gratification. So when he says, don't commit adultery, he's saying, give up the power struggle of thinking that your body is yours to do whatever you want to do with it. And instead, live out this relationship, this gift of relationship, sexual, emotional, mental, with another person of the opposite sex for all of life. For all of life. Because that pleasure is reserved for a commitment. Another human life, friends, is not to be used for self-gratification or pleasure. Human life, just like violence, is to be respected. Lastly, do not testify against your neighbor. It's like, oh, I don't lie. Yes, I hope you don't lie. I really hope you don't lie. But the bigger picture of this is this. Do not testify, which is, means courtroom. It means courtroom. When you hear testify against your neighbor, they're saying you are not to say things that are false or you're bending truth to get your way in a courtroom. Which makes you feel like our justice system's really messed up now, don't you?
You don't go into a courtroom against your neighbor and slander them so you win the lawsuit. You share the truth. You share what happens. And if it's on you, you need to be honest about that. In our world, it feels like the courtroom, but also the court of public opinion, seem, would really benefit from this. Because I see a lot of alternative facts and bending of truth these days to get what we want. And if that's the case, we can't be neighbors with each other. We're each other's enemies. Brueggemann says this, the neighbor is not to be used by lying in order to enhance one's own interest. Community requires drawing a line against private interest in order to make social relations workable. Friends, I got to tell you something. When you hear a prisoner is exonerated 30 years after being convicted, we should mourn. We should mourn because we live in a system that encourages slander and lying to win cases. When we hear public leaders make up things, we should be mourning. It doesn't matter if they have the same value as us. We need to call it out if they're lying. Because truth is truth. Because this is what happens, friends, when an entire society allows lying to be the default. You know who hurts the most? Those who are marginalized. Those who are vulnerable. Those who do not have power. Friends, all four of these commandments what they do is they take the power struggle out of the equation in our relationships with our neighbors. Generations aren't to war together. We don't look to kill another neighbor to get what we want. We are not to be people who use our neighbor for our own pleasure. We are not to be people who lie or bend truth to get what we want when it can hurt our neighbor. Because if you do the opposite of all of these, here's what you do, essentially. You ignore other generations to get what you want or do what you want. You kill another human being for your own way or your own security or your own worldview or your own protection. You use other human beings for your own pleasure, regardless of how they feel about it, regardless if they agreed to it. And we say whatever it takes to get our own way. When you do those four things, you are craving power over another. You are craving power in the world. You are craving power against your neighbor. And you will do what it takes to get it. Some of us, some people in the world, do these things to maintain their power. If we 
live an ethic based on the struggle to gain power in the world, we are not free. We are just like everybody else. We are not free. I wrote this down, and I truly believe this, friends. True freedom begets freedom. True freedom begets freedom. If the freedom of another is destroyed for your own freedom, you do not actually possess freedom. Think through that the next time that we decide to have a political argument about whether a person is worthy or not of living, worthy of whatever we think it to be. If freedom of another is destroyed for your own freedom, you do not actually possess freedom. And you want to know what's amazing? is that God gives these things to a people who were enslaved for hundreds of years. And guess what their first thought would be as they're setting up society? We need to make sure we are never taken advantage again by another pharaoh. So we're never enslaved. So we need armies. We need to be able to go to war. We need to be able to be comfortable where we are. And God says, no. I did not free you to be just another civilization that craves power. You are to be a people of grace. You are to be a people of peace. You are to be a people of blessing. Israelites had every reason to do the exact opposite of all of these things. Because guess what? It's really easy to hurt people when you've been hurt yourself. It's really easy to do it. Instead, God says, hey, I'm your God. Be my people. Trust me. I am God. I have freed you. I will provide for you. I am always with you. I love you. Matt Pollock says this. The Decalogue which is a fancy word for the Ten Commandments. If you've never heard the Decalogue before, I apologize, but I'm trying to be faithful to the quote here. The Decalogue subverts the way of living to which the people called Israel had been been subjected. Do you hear that? In other words, it directly goes under the way that they felt like they would need to live because they had been enslaved for so long. Not only this, but it stands as a decree that critiques the abuse of power and the subjugation of people like no other thing. I am your God. Be my people. You don't need to struggle for power in the world. Rely on me. I have ultimate power. I will care for you. I will watch over you. Friends, Jesus didn't throw out the Ten Commandments. As we read earlier, he said, the greatest commandment is love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and prophets is summed up in this. This is how we love our God and this is how we love our neighbor. 
And so if we begin to follow Jesus, we begin to take him at his word when he says, guess what? You don't even need to kill somebody to have already done it in your heart if you're angry with somebody. He takes the Ten Commandments and he takes it up to a level 11. Like spinal tap. Nobody appreciated that, okay. He takes the commandment of do not kill and if you've thought about hurting another human being in your heart, you have already killed them. What, Jesus? I tell you that if you look at another human being for your own pleasure, you've already basically slept with them. Oh God, help me. This is why Jesus' entire life, his entire message, is rooted in giving of himself to us. He was modeling for us what these Ten Commandments were never modeled for us in the Old Testament. He understood that we as people, when we rely on him, can be free from the power struggle of the world. We don't need to compete with each other. God has us. We don't need to take advantage of other human beings because God has us. Let me tell you something, friends. If you're struggling for power with your neighbor, are, can you really love your neighbor? You can't because you're looking for your way against theirs. No matter what injustice, friends, or wrong that has been done to you, we as followers of Christ are called to be free from the power struggle and to live lives of humility. These commandments free us from power struggle and free us to live humble lives. Not my will, God, but yours. What's God's will? Don't kill people. Don't use people for your own sexual gratification. Don't lie about others. Honor others. Don't allow generation gaps to define how you see another human being. Care for one another. Take care of the vulnerable. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because friends, I'm here to tell you, if you believe that freedom means they can do whatever you want, you're just going to be constantly struggling for power. You're going to be finding yourself fearing others, hating others, doing things that you think to yourself, why would I even do this? Well, whenever you're struggling for that power, you usually do whatever it takes to get it. And God says, be free. Be free. I am your God. Be my people. This is how you love me, and this is how you love your neighbor. Give yourself to me, give yourself to others, and you will live a free life. I don't have a slide for this, but I, I posted this quote earlier this week, and it really has been just marinating in my head. Authentic Christianity is not so much a belief system 
Rather, it's a life and death system that shows you how to give away your life, how to give away your love, and eventually how to give away your death. Friends, these commandments aren't things that you just believe in. They are a matter of life and death. How we relate to our neighbor will determine their life or their death. This is why Jesus chose to show us amazing grace by giving himself his own body, his own life to us so that we would be saved from sin and death. And may we as followers look to have the same kind of relationships he modeled in his life. May we give ourselves away so that others would have life, so that others would have freedom, so that others would know what love really is. You want to be free? Love God. Love your neighbor. Be free from the power struggle and be free to live a humble life. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning for our service, which begins at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street, Northwest, in Warren, Ohio. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, please visit us at championnaz.org.